Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I am your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 38 with my friend, Lauren. Uh, Lauren is one of my best friends. We've been close for, I don't know, 11 years now? We met at Best Buy, as I will talk about there in the beginning, and Lauren's got a wonderful story to share. She's a photographer. Um, She's been married um, and divorced and married again and just became a mother Uh, just before the pandemic, and we talk a little bit about that as well. So I hope you guys enjoy my interview with my friend, Lauren. And yeah, but thank you for doing this. I wish we could do it in person, and it's weird because you really aren't that far away. So if we weren't in this situation, we would definitely be doing this in person. I know. Uh, but I usually start out with how I know people and yeah, we met at Best Buy and kind of you and Erica became friends. I, uh, I kept my distance to some degree, uh, just cause you were, I was like, Oh, cute girl that works with me probably shouldn't spend a bunch of time with you since my wife or our girlfriend works here too. But, um, yeah, but luckily and, uh, she and I hit it off right away and yeah. are best friends to this day. So yeah. it, it all worked out that we can all just be in each other's lives that's, that's right great. um yeah. and and the rest is history <laughs> but yeah i i wanted to kind of start with stuff i definitely don't know going back to you're born i know you have one sibling who's younger so you were a only child at the beginning yes which i do not remember because we're only two and a half years apart yeah um do you were you born in michigan too do you live in michigan your whole life Yep, I've been in Michigan my whole life, Um, Oakland County pretty much my whole life actually, Um, but I was born in Gross Point and my parents lived um, in the White Lake Waterford area. Okay. Yep. Um, What do you have earliest memory wise? Because like you said, you you don't remember being two and a half and (laughs) no brother yet, but. No, I don't remember much of that, but um, I don't know. I have some memories shortly after that when we moved into our first house in Holly, um, you know, the neighbor kids that I would play with and um, spending time with my cousins, things like that. So childhood play, I think, is where my earliest memories probably start. Yeah. Like what around a... three, probably. Okay. That's super <laughs> early. <laughs> um, what uh, What do your mom and dad do when you're born for work? So my parents met at Meteor Photo. Um and which I is... can't remember, <laughs> which is, you know, I think Meteor Photo still exists, but back then they were, you know, a, a print service. They printed photos, they printed posters and, you know, large things for companies and small prints for individuals. Okay. I, I think they printed just about everything. And I believe my dad was a delivery driver for them. And my mom, I don't remember what she did, but that's where they met. So they were a pretty um, big company. Yeah, I think so. When I you mean, first said it, I was like, oh, it's one of those photo booths in the mall parking lot. No, <laughs> no, they were a legit uh, company that, you know, serviced a lot of clients in Metro Detroit. And I don't know if they had multiple locations, but I'm doing a really bad job of describing it. But I do That's, know that my parents met there. It's okay. And <laughs> they've sort of been, I think, driven out by, you know, the online world and um, yeah. competitors these days but yeah that was a that was the thing back then so so they met working there and then um i think my mom had originally thought she would go back to work but 
shortly after that was supposed to happen, she and my dad had a conversation about her staying home. It was what felt right for her so she was home with my brother and I for our early years and my dad continued to work there um, and then he went into more of um, like the networking field gotcha Um, so what's your relationship like with your parents when you're growing up Um, I mean it was it was pretty great pretty normal I growing up I mean I just I it was a happy home. (laughs) I don't, I honestly don't have any strong like feelings or memories either way, which I think is kind of a good thing. Like everything was just pretty smooth sailing for the most part. I mean, growing up, I was a really, um, like I was an emotional sponge for other people. So that's the biggest thing I remember about myself as a tiny person. What do you mean by that? Like just being hyper aware of what other people were feeling. And, you know, I I have memories at a young age of like perceiving a situation where I thought my mom was embarrassed and I felt that shame and like I felt whatever I thought she was feeling. And looking back on it, I was probably perceiving those situations completely wrong. But I just remember being really aware of how other people were feeling in my environment and kind of taking on whatever emotions they had. And I think I carried that into adulthood a little bit too. I still am like really empathetic and um, just kind of sensitive to that kind of stuff, to other people's energy and emotion. It's not a bad trait to have. (laughs) No, it can, it can feel really heavy sometimes. So it's hard in that way, but I, I think ultimately it's a good thing and it, I've, learn to um, use it as a tool for sure. Yeah. Um, was your dad just working normal hours? Did you see him like regular? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nine to five. <laughs> I remember him. He would commute, um, you know, from Metro Detroit back up towards Holly. And I would, I remember him going home at the end of the day and being so frustrated from having sat in traffic for so long. And here's a perfect example. I remember like feeling how, stressed out he was when he would get out of the car like he you could just feel it like he just it drove him absolutely crazy but he, i got to see him all the time and he was a great dad <laughs> everything was good but that's that's a perfect example yeah. i can relate to that that's a it's a taurus thing it's got to be a taurus thing um, yes i think you might be right <laughs> no i know yeah i get that i i often feel that way uh and it's it can be detrimental because Like, uh, for instance, you know, if Erica is feeling super anxious about something, I can feel that anxiety. And then of course I want to fix it, which is like the last Mm. thing I should be doing. Um, (laughs) but can't help myself. Um, so outside of the home school friends, what's, what's that like growing up, up in Holly, Michigan? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we had some pretty average, um, experiences just with playing kids with kids in the neighborhood and um, grew up really close to some of our cousins who lived kind of far away, but we saw them several times a year and have really strong memories of camping with them every summer and going throughout Northern Michigan. Um, And so that was a big part of growing up and, you know, to this day has made me a huge lover of, of nature and being outdoors in general. Um, So that was a huge part of my childhood. Um, other than that, you know, from a very small age, probably as early as I can remember, I 
was just so drawn to musicals and singing and dancing and I just was a little performer uh, from the very beginning. I There are videos of me tap dancing in our little, you know, yeah. linoleum entryway and um, just singing along to musicals and memorizing songs. I wanted to go rent all the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals when I was, you know, eight. Oh, you were in and, deep. And I, <laughs> I was deep. Where did that and, come from? Do you know, like, which adult member influenced that in your life? Because most eight-year-olds don't just know who Rodgers and Hammerstein are. I think my mom probably introduced me to it. I, I remember um, watching Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, and that was where it all began. And I just was in love and memorized the entire score of that and, you know, was singing and dancing to the songs um, when I was really little. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. But my dad was really musical. He was in a band when he was a teenager and he has a great voice and he was always singing and being really silly when we were growing up. So I think I got the musical side from him. And then my mom kind of introduced me to that world of musicals. (laughs) So those two things collided and out came an obsession. Did he play a lot of music when you were younger, like in the house or with a band or anything? Not a lot. No, he wasn't in a band when I was growing up, but he did have a guitar and I do have some memories of him playing, you know, Jeremiah was a bullfrog and being silly with my brother and I. Yeah. Um, so I, I enough to remember it, but not all the time. Did that follow you into school? Like, were you involved in choir and band? And I know yep. the answer to one of those. I was <laughs> the nerdiest when it comes to that stuff. Um, <laughs> I was Yeah, from the earliest age that I could be, I wanted to be in plays and definitely in musicals, um, played an instrument in band, marching and symphony, went on to become drum major for band, was in choir. Yeah, so any opportunity that I had to be musical. So do you you feel that separated you from uh, maybe different social interactions you wanted or did that help you find like a closer knit group of friends with similar interests? Probably the latter. I was very quiet and probably not very confident with who I was at the time. And when I was on stage, I think I was most confident with who I was. So I had some strong friendships, a few of them, but I, um, I wouldn't say I like ran with the popular crowd or whoever, um, you would call that. I, um, I think it, it kind of allowed me to be that more shy internalized younger person and uh really focus on a few key friendships with people who had similar interests for the most part uh so school other than that like you had your kind of side projects of of band and choir and and plays uh social aspect was it was it good i mean did you have any big experiences like in middle school especially or, or high school shape anything that you kind of came out of it and you're like, I always look back at that and think that was a turning point or lesson learned or something like that. I remember from a young age, just perceiving that girls and later women can just be really mean to each other. And I experienced that from a young age, just insecurity comes out in the ugliest of ways. And I remember you know, a a boy liking me, and I don't even think I liked him back, but some 12-year-old girl called my house and, like, threatened me over the phone, on my parents' landline phone, 
And I just remember thinking, like, this is absolutely insane. Like, what did I do to deserve this? And, you know, it's just things like that. So I experienced a lot of that kind of stuff over the years, just, and I was way too young to understand what it all meant. You know, it's hurtful at the time. But, um, you know, looking back, just understanding that insecurity makes people do really hurtful things. Um, and I think that's a theme for most people for the rest of their lives, or it's something we, we all try to work on at some point, uh, if we're lucky. (laughs) So that was a big thing, um, that I think I experienced in small doses over the years. Did that affect, um, let me rephrase the question. Does that, did you find yourself having more guy friends than girlfriends? Definitely. Yes. (laughs) Do you think that? And I did have. I was just going to say, I, I did have some, some female friendships for sure, but it was way easier to get along with the boys yeah. my age. Did you feel safer that way since you were getting like threatened by other girls and, and other stuff? Like, was it, was it almost easier to be friends with the guys because you didn't have to deal with the, the stuff that, I mean, essentially at that age, you didn't even understand from the other Yeah, girls. I think the because you don't have that understanding and you haven't really found the depth of what it means to be a person or, you know, a woman or anything that comes later in adulthood back then, it it was just easier just to be around boys who didn't take things so seriously and, you know, weren't bringing so much emotion into things without understanding what any of meant. (laughs) So that felt a lot lighter. That's good. Um, Did that lead to any early relationships did you have were you big on boyfriend girlfriend relationships in school or was that something that came later yeah i i think i've you know on and off but pretty consistently throughout school um had a boyfriend but i i dated someone seriously for my last two years of high school so i had a serious boyfriend named rob my junior year he was a year older so he went off to the air force academy my senior year um but we were together that year too adorable um what is your relationship like with your brother that whole time they're growing up and you guys are just that right age apart where you could either be terrible to each other or get along really well so my brother and I so we were two and a half years apart and I was the older female sibling so I was a little bit more ahead of him in maturity and he, you know because of our age difference and our separate interests he was very into sports I was very into arts and that age gap, we we kind of just, you know, I don't want to say tolerated each other, but we, yeah. we weren't ever super involved with each other when we were in middle school and high school. We got along fine. There was never an issue, <laughs> but we didn't really um, form a friendship, I, will, I would say, until college and later in life. Yeah. But we've always gotten along just fine. And Coexisting. I've always... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just in the way that siblings do, you know. Did you guys have, uh, not like picking favorites, but like, did you, did one of you gravitate to one of the parents more than the other? Like, were you hanging out, find yourself hanging out with your mom or your dad more and him vice versa or anything like that? I think because he is a lot like my dad, they probably, in terms of interest, you know, we're sort of drawn to each other in that way, you know, attending sporting events together, professional events and him playing sports um, throughout school. But I also have always had a close relationship with my dad and, um, and my mom was very involved with both of us as well. So I think the fact that there are just two of us 
one boy, one girl, yeah. and we had both parents there, there was kind of, um, you know, a, a fair division of, of both relationships yeah. for both of us. So super, yeah. super nuclear family. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. I mean, definitely not perfect and yeah. definitely, um, not like cookie cutter by any means, but yeah, I mean, looking back, it's pretty nuclear family for sure. <laughs> uh, do you, do you think your, your relationship with your brother also contributed to you maybe having more guy friends than girlfriends growing up? Like, were, cause you were just more comfortable being around guys because you had the brother that was so close in age. Not because of my brother, I wouldn't say, but because I have a ton of boy cousins and a ton of okay. uncles. Like there are just a lot of, boys and men in my family uh growing up i was around that energy a lot yeah. um so i think that contributed more to it i was the first girl after five or six boy cousins and i was yes. the first <laughs> like granddaughter and there were very few women in the generation before me so it was just there weren't a lot of girls in the family <laughs> so i think that played a big part in it uh looking back to that shape your idea of, of kind of men in positively or negatively, like were they all pretty much good influences or did you have some, some bad apples that <laughs> may have swayed your view of the opposite gender when you were younger? No, I, I count myself really lucky in that way. You know, my dad's side of the family is Italian and he has two brothers, um, one older, one younger, and I'm very close to both of them and um, very close to, uh, my mom's side as well. Um, but no, just loving good people. And I, I just have a closeness with my extended family. I think a lot of people don't have, and I feel very grateful for that. Um, yeah. so you, you're in a serious relationship with your the end of high school and you graduate. Um, I mean, what's next for you in life was college immediately on the, on the radar. Yeah, it was one of those situations where it was just kind of presumed that that would come next, even though at the time I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do. Um, and then for many years would go on to not know what I wanted to do. Well, you were so involved um, in the arts. I wonder if there was any, like, was that a path you wanted to pursue um, after high school? In a way it was, but I remember very clearly um, toward my the end of my senior year having a sense that I was not good enough to pursue that kind of thing professionally. And so I kind of gave myself a dead end with that stuff. And I went on to be in some community productions yeah. and still do it a little bit. And I think I was probably being hard on myself, but also in a way I think being realistic as well. So kind of just balancing those two things and coming out maybe on the wrong side. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but I distinctly remember thinking, this is where this ends, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to do this for a living. So what, what am I going to do? Yeah. Major in musical theater. I you say that I so nonchalantly. like, woof, who does that? No, people do that. <laughs> yeah. Are, half of New York does that. <laughs> I know. I personally didn't feel that I was talented enough yeah. to do it. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> plenty of other people are. And you know, there are moments where I feel like, Hey, I, maybe I could have made it, but, no, I remember feeling like, no, this is, this is where the road ends. So what did you end up going to college for? So I started with English and French. Okay. And then I, oh man, I, I don't even remember what came right after that, but I took a 
sharp turn and thought about going into um, like ultrasound technology. Oh. And that that led me to look into Baker College. I was at Oakland University at the time. And because Baker had a really great ultrasound program, but it had about a year and a half wait list. And so another sharp turn. I was in a marketing class at Baker and I really loved the professor and really enjoyed it. And the concepts made a lot of sense to me and it just felt very um, natural for me. So I decided to change my major to marketing. I loved that Baker College had quarters instead of semesters. So I could get you know, almost twice the number of classes done in a calendar year than I normally would have. I was just, I was working three jobs at the time and I wanted to push through it as quickly as I could. So, um, were you, did you move out of your house when you started going to college or were you living at home? I did. I, so I was going to Oakland university, which was at the time like commuter central, but I wanted to have that on campus experience, even though I was going to a school that was 20 five minutes from my parents' house. Yeah. So I stayed in the dorms at Oakland. How was that? It was good. I mean, I loved my roommate. She and I went on to be, you know, the best of friends and um, met some nice people and did get to have a little bit of that on-campus experience. I really love, to this day, Rochester. So I really enjoyed being there. Um, And my aunt had a salon nearby my grandma lived nearby you know so there was just a lot drawing me to that area so it was a good experience even though i probably didn't need to spend all that money to live in the dorms (laughs) but being i mean being out of your house for the first time like was there any sense of freedom that you took advantage of that you didn't feel like you had before i being a firstborn and just being kind of driven and stubborn you know taurus um (laughs) i I think I kind of worked for independence whenever I could find it. And I, um, I was kind of used to pursuing that, I guess. So it wasn't like my first taste of freedom or anything. I didn't go crazy or do anything completely out of my, you know, normal routine, but it, I do definitely remember feeling like, you know, that sense of freedom. But Uh, so did you, you didn't do any like partying or drinking and stuff like that? No, I, so I, I drank for the first time my freshman year. I don't even remember what it was. It was some probably vodka was in it. I think it was pink. And I think I had like a half of a cup of it. And then I remember eating white bread at some point. And then I threw all of it up a few hours later, but no, no hard. And that wasn't even partying. That was just like the first time I had had alcohol. Alcohol, so it didn't go over very well. I, but I was never a partier, never have been. (laughs) I dream of having a a bad first experience with drinking, so then maybe it'll plant that seed like, this is bad for you. Um, Well, that's, yeah, that's funny. So you didn't drink till college, and even then, you you didn't drink that much at the time, I'm I'm assuming. (laughs) After after your white bread (laughs) incident, (laughs) no, yeah, for the for the most part, when it comes to things like that. I have excellent self-control and I have no problem just evaluating, you know, the pros and cons of a situation and just riding through it and not going to one extreme, if that makes sense. Well, did you have anything like that? I mean, I think a lot of this is reflective of of the environment we grew up in. So I imagine you, your parents, did they drink much at all growing up? I don't remember ever seeing my parents drunk definitely um 
I, I do remember seeing my dad drink a beer, you know, um, I, so yes, there, I, I know that they were drinking in like very small amounts here and there, but, um, I never saw any excessive use of anything, um, or any behavior that changed as a result of it. Okay. Where do you live after the dorms of OU? <laughs> um, I got an apartment with my first roommate at OU and went on to live with um, someone I was dating after that. But it was more kind of like I was in college and I wasn't going to move back in with my parents and I was with him all the time. So I was just kind of staying at his place sort of thing. It wasn't yeah. like we were living together and I had plates there or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> Let's be let's be realistic. None of us had plates till we were like thirty. Um, That's true. <laughs> but at that same time, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong. And it's funny that I didn't know your parents worked at a photo printing place because uh, obviously that comes full circle to some degree. Um, and when do you get into photography? Yeah, that's funny. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, so I, in high school, I remember just being drawn to other people's photography and just enjoying, you know, analyzing their composition and just, I was just drawn to it. I, as an art form in general, um, I, to be honest, had no prior experience with it at all, but it was just something that I felt pulled to. Um, I had a friend who had a Kodak point and shoot camera and I just, and we all had blogs at the time because that was very in back then, um, live journal Mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. <laughs> so I remember seeing her post the pictures that she'd take, you know, out in her yard of nature and different random things. And I just wanted to experience that too. So I got a, you know, a point and shoot camera and started playing around with it and just kind of um, dabbled in it, taught myself, did some online classes. And my best friend who I've known since childhood was always in photography classes and was also, you know, very into photography and was a very, very talented photographer. Um, so she and I shared that, that interest as well, which was a lot of fun um, to be able to, um, I don't know, sort of experience that at the same time. So in college, I think I got my first SLR and that was where I really dove into it and started thinking it might take a more professional direction. Like to be actually able to make some money off of it. Yeah. Um, if you, if money wasn't a factor, what would you, would you photograph and what would you photograph? Well, this brings up another topic that we haven't talked about yet. Um, <laughs> if money was no object and I could just take pictures, I would, I would, um, I would probably take pictures of rescued animals, <laughs> to be honest, and try to raise money for, um, farm sanctuaries and um, mm-hmm. animal welfare organizations. Because I know yeah. photography-wise, you've kind of run the gambit. Um, everything from uh, like what you just mentioned, taking pictures of animals at sanctuaries to boudoir photography, and uh, <laughs> you, you've kind of done it all behind the camera in that way. And I just, I just, I didn't know if there was any other forms of photography that you you had a passion about that you just kind of didn't see, like. Uh, you know, like you could go walk around in the woods for four days and take a bunch of pictures, but you might not be able to pay your mortgage next month if you can't like sell those. So I didn't know if there was any sort of like underlying passion area that you don't get the opportunity to because it's not necessarily a money paying thing. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and yeah. I think my answer is would say the same. Um, yeah, the animals. The, the, yeah, and it sounds cheesy, um, but I I cheesy. did a little <laughs> I did a little bit of that um, a few years ago, and I would um, encourage you know my normal portrait clients to bring their pets to their sessions because I know how much we all love our you know dogs and sometimes cats. People, I'm not saying people sometimes love their cats, but people don't often take them outdoors to be photographed. But (laughs) so knowing how much people love their pets and how quickly 12 years can fly by and you don't have any professional photos of this animal that you've loved, you know, so much. So um, I would do mini sessions and have people um, bring their pets and I'd raise money for um, an animal shelter or something like that. So that's where it started. And then when I made the decision to go vegan and, um, you know, my life went in that direction, then the idea of potentially photographing farm animals um, came up from that. And it's just, I, I kind of just love the opportunity to connect with a being without expectation, you know. So there's a, there's a soul there, there's a, a living creature there, but they're not expecting to look a certain way in the camera and you're just able to, you know, capture, I don't know, their authentic being without any, I don't know, any expectations, I guess that's all I, all I can say. Um, so I'm going to stick on, stick on photography a little bit <laughs> and yeah. what, uh, feel, feel free to not answer this. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how much <laughs> stock you have in this question, but out of all the stuff you've done with photography, and I mean that includes taking pictures of my dumbass walking around for um, for an album I did, and uh, like you said, you had cat. a you had a studio in my cat. Um, <laughs> you you've done you've done so many different things with photography, and I wonder. Uh, we talked about what you would do if you could just do something that you really love. What's some stuff that you've done that you just like? I did this for money. I fucking hate doing this. Or is like, what was the, maybe not hate, but like, what, what's the job you did with photography that you really, it was for the money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't, there were a few weddings that I shot that were just absolutely miserable. Weddings in general were not miserable. I have photographed some absolutely delightful couples who yeah. to this day I'm friends with on social media and, um, you know, just had such a great time being there for their big day. So the thing that I struggle with with photography in that way is that it can be the best day you've ever had, or it can just be the worst thing you've ever experienced. Like it can, it can be one or the other. And a lot of the times it's somewhere in the middle, but I, I made the decision to stop shooting weddings because I had a few experiences that were just there wasn't enough joy in it, both yeah. on the side of the, the people getting married and for me experiencing it and the amount of work that goes into it. It's just, it wasn't right for me. And I, I knew that it was time to, to stop doing that. Yeah. Was there any thing, and I wonder if weddings is the answer to this, where you were just like, kind of felt like kind of a sellout photographer. That was, the, I don't like the term necessarily, but I don't know how other to phrase that. Um, I don't think so because I feel like most of the jobs that I've had, I've been able to bring my skills to the table, my style, you know, what you see is what you're going to get for the most part. And some people don't fully understand that. And 
ultimately aren't happy with themselves and they take that out on you. So that was, that's something I've experienced a couple of times. Um, I don't know. I've done some like event photography, things like that, that aren't really, you know, speaking to my soul, but you know, help pay the bills, that kind of stuff. But I don't know photography is, I love it because it is so subjective and because you, there are so many different ways to express yourself with it and um, so many different avenues for different people to go down with it. But it has also been consistently for the last 10 years a way for me to be hard on myself again and be that 18-year-old who told herself, like, you don't have a future in this, so what are you doing? You know, I've had that conversation in my own head about photography, too, like, you know, you're good, but like, you're not that good. And you are never going to get yourself to this level. So I feel like I've probably dabbled in a lot of different kinds of photography, because I've never allowed myself to feel confident enough in one area of it to truly just hit the ground running and let myself succeed. And, and uh, I don't know, just be good at it or admit that I'm good at it. I, that's just something I've struggled with. That like directly segues into, I even wrote it down confidence. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm curious when you're, uh, when, when, and if, if ever, now that you said that, if you, when you found confidence in your, in your work, um, when it comes to that, I don't know that I fully have Justin. I, uh, I get great feedback from people that I work with and it truly means the world to me. And when someone says something kind about something I've created, like there's no better compliment than that. And I, I don't know that I fully let myself receive it. I, I feel it and it feels so kind and wonderful, but I, I don't know. I, it's that whole imposter syndrome or whatever they call it, you know, where no matter how long you've been doing something or what you do, um, because there is no official way to be a photographer and there's no, it is so subjective that I can still kind of convince myself that I'm an imposter in this industry, even though I've been doing it for, you know, going on nine or 10 years now. What what do you think that stems from? I think, uh, you know, (laughs) I think from a very young age, I have struggled with not being perfect. And, you know, I was the little girl writing in her journal. And then if I'd go back a few months later and not like it, I'd rip the pages out and throw them away. You know, like I didn't ever want to be perceived as weak or um, not good at something. And I, I think I was probably my biggest critic when it came to that stuff. But I just if I wasn't a hundred percent confident with what I was producing, I didn't want to put myself out there. I didn't want to be vulnerable. So was there any like expectation at home that, that you should be in this perfect bubble or where I thought about that because you know, most things that we struggle with as adults come from our childhood in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Like somewhere that the expectation was put in your head. And I'm just curious if you ever figured out where that was. (laughs) Short answer, no, I haven't. I I have no memories of my parents making me feel that way. What I think might be the case more is that they felt that way maybe about themselves. Maybe they were hard on themselves, and I learned that from them. Yeah. That would be my best guess. But I was never made to feel like you're not good enough or you need to, you know, reach this 
level of success or perfection. So I don't know where that came from. I, being the little emotion sponge that I was, must have learned it from someone. But (laughs) were you, uh, were you good in school, like grade wise? Yeah, I was not um, straight A perfect, but I was probably like a A minus B plus kind of gal. Did you ever bring home a bad grade? Probably. Yes, I think I got like a couple, like a C and a D here and there. Maybe one D, but I definitely got some C's in there. But on average, I think I was a B plus kind of. Were there ever, like, did you have a household of there were repercussions if you brought a D home? I'm sure my parents were like, what, what's going on? Why, (laughs) how did this happen? But, um, you know, nothing major. It was, I think I put the pressure on myself more than anything. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is funny and you, and you said it yourself, which is, is even crazier because you, you know, you're, you know that you've been in the industry long enough to have, to like be allowed to have confidence in yourself and what you do, but you don't allow yourself to do that. Um, and it's like, let me, let me ask you this. <laughs> and I mean, I already know where I'm going with this, but if you know someone else that has been doing what you've been doing for the last whatever, 15 years, 10 years, 15 years, would you consider them like professional and <laughs> yes, yeah. I would. <laughs> but you can't assign that to yourself. <laughs> it's a lot harder to, yeah, yeah that's isn't for it? sure. So because I have never been able to find uh, like an aspect of photography to say I specialize in, I just struggle to take myself seriously as a professional, I guess. I And I don't know if I do that to myself on purpose. Like I'll never let myself dabble in any aspect of it long enough to... I don't know, get good at it or be recognized for it. Yeah. So I, I wonder why you feel like you need to pick, pick a lane to use your own words. Cause I don't think, I mean, I would push back and say, no one has set that expectation on you except for you. You are accurate. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Yeah. I don't know. Um, just trying to show I you how good just, you are, Lauren. Jeez. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's something that I just, I'm still trying to, to learn. And I, I think I do the same thing with music. I do, you know, it, I don't know why I have a hard time just letting myself share what is, you know, maybe a gift of mine yeah. with the world. So, yeah, yeah I mean, something I, to continue with you're that. preaching to the choir too. Like I, <laughs> I will be the first person to tell everybody I don't actually play guitar. <laughs> I like know how to play some chords and that's it. Um, right. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> I just, uh, I but think I it's funny. Think of you as... Yeah. We set, we set our, we set, well, no, we just set our own, uh, limitations on, on what we accept in ourselves. And, and I think that's unique and, and also frustrating and sad because if everyone around you can see how talented you are, but then you, you yourself have a struggle accepting that. Um, you and I are pretty much the same, just man version, woman version. <laughs> I'm the uh, I'm the more pervy version. Our birthdays are a week apart, um, and I really so. I yeah that too. But <laughs> I think our personalities are very similar. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, but I want to I want to shift the lens a little. Ah, camera joke. Um, <laughs> to uh, back to relationships because there's obviously like some stuff to discuss there. 
Oh, yes. I, uh, I think I touched briefly on how at this point in my life I can look back and understand that, you know, a lot of the relationships I entered into in early adulthood were just a direct result of me not knowing myself very well. And a lot of them led to some really beautiful things in life. For example, you know, the relationship with Jason, had I never met him, I would not have met you and Erica, who are two of my best friends in the whole world. So, you know, it, I try really hard to look back at these relationships that were so clearly wrong for me <laughs> and not judge myself too harshly uh, because a lot of good did come out of pretty much all of them. So, yes, the next person that I went on to date, I did, in fact, marry. Um, that relationship moved pretty quickly, and I was 25 when we got married. Which is so young. I mean, it's not, but it is. <laughs> was and there, did you feel back, pressure to get married or was that just like something you were like, was that the like stereotypical little girl dream that you were wanting to fulfill? Like, I think rather than a stereotypical dream, it was what came next. It was what I always assumed would happen. And, you know, I just... I took it into my own hands, I guess, to make it happen. Yeah. And I was with a person who, at the time, I felt, you know, checked all the boxes that I felt I needed to check. And I was just moving forward, you know, at full steam ahead. And the best way I can describe it is that at the time, I, I don't know that I was fully awake that's the best way I, I can kind of explain it to someone who wasn't me <laughs> back then. Um, because looking back, I can't tap into emotion that I felt for him or in that situation or like a feeling of 100% confidence that that was my person who I was going to be with forever. I, I really think emotionally I was just shut off and I think I thought that was the next step in life and so I just kind of let myself fall into it yeah and I think that was one thing led to another and it happened I wonder if um and it's funny because the podcast we did together for the other podcast we talked about family values and and the family dynamics on tv shows growing up and I wonder if growing up with like such a like externally such a like stereotypical nuclear family right like you have your mom your dad not divorced, um, daughter, son, um, growing up there, plus the TV stuff that we grew up on, if that created what, like, looking back now may have been, like, a toxic narrative that you were trying to follow that you didn't even realize until later. Mm -hmm. Does yeah, that make sense? I think so. It does. It does. Um, and I've given that a lot of thought um, over the years. So I think I grew up in a beautiful family, immediate and extended. Yeah. I was very loved and well cared for. However, I think I grew up in a family with generations of people who were not comfortable with emotional intimacy. And so somewhere along the lines, I 
to learn to just shut that side of myself off. And that wasn't something I was looking for in a partner or that was even a factor in making that decision at the time. And I think that that was a big part of it because there's no other way I can rationalize choosing to marry someone who I did not have those feelings for at the time. Um, And I can only say it's because I just did not allow myself to experience life emotionally. I didn't, I just didn't go there. I didn't know how it didn't feel comfortable. So it just didn't happen. Did you find any sort of, uh, and this is 100% projection, like emotional intimacy or, or the, like that specific term is always a trigger for me. Cause it's like, that was the reason for almost all of my addictive behavior. Um, and cause lacking that I sought it out, uh, through toxic means. And sometimes that's something like alcohol where it's like, Oh, people, you know, are more friendly and, and you can, you feel more vulnerable and more comfortable sharing whatever when you're, when you're intoxicated or like any number of behavioral addictions where you're just like looking for another outlet to connect with somebody instead of actually connecting with somebody. Um, so I wonder if you had any sort of outlet for that emotional intimacy that you weren't, uh, since you weren't getting it at the time, like if you sought that out anywhere else in life, whether that be through, I mean, anything really <laughs> I've, in my experience, it, it can be pretty much anything. I just wonder if you had an outlet there. I think what it caused me to do was constantly be in a relationship and it was constantly be in a relationship with someone who I wasn't emotionally a good fit with or just in general, a good fit with I, but it was easy for me to jump from one relationship to the next. I think at that point in my life, just, you know, I was almost always dating someone at some capacity, you know, so I was never single for very long. And so I think, I don't think I ever let myself be alone with those feelings. I would just distract myself with the next person who came along, who seemed like a decent guy and who, you know, I had somewhat similar interests with, and it was just another distraction. So I think that's, that was my strategy. (laughs) (laughs) So how long did the marriage last? Um, it lasted, it was, everything was over two years from when it started. The marriage was over after two years. Yes. It was volatile, um, from what I remember. Um, and I wonder what that was like being the person like directly involved in that volatile situation. Uh, I mean, everything from like, that time period you had to, I don't know what you want to talk about, but you had, you had to put down a dog. Um, you got divorced, you moved back in with your parents. Um, I mean that there's a lot of really bad shit going on at once. Like, where's your head at? What are, what are the things you're telling yourself? And what are the things even more importantly that you learned about yourself and learned from that situation that have made you come out a different person? Yeah, that was, it was a challenging time for sure. It was, um, but looking back, I mean, it was the most transformative period of my life that I've ever experienced. 
So leading up to the end of that was definitely volatile and definitely intense in a lot of ways. But, you know, that relationship just was, it was two people who were never meant to be together. And that just came to a head and was so abundantly clear. But, um, you know, you have two people who don't know themselves and, and who are struggling with their own insecurities. And um, I don't know that you just can't be there for each other in any way, shape or form when you're both dealing with that, ex- you know, any extra baggage or I don't, won't go into to that or what the other person was going through. But um, ultimately, just I came to the conclusion independently that I had made a poor decision. And it was not the direction I wanted my life to continue to go in. And I had begun to make changes in my own lifestyle, um, I would say about a year, six months before the marriage ended, where I was um, starting to change my diet. I was starting to eat healthier. I was starting to exercise. I was running. Um, I did my first Tough Mudder race. And so I was starting to wake up. And I was starting to, you know, raise my frequency if you want to get hippy dippy about it. But that's truly how it felt at the time. So I was becoming a healthier version of myself emotionally, physically, spiritually. And this other person and I were just moving in opposite directions in that regard. And so that ultimately allowed me to see myself more clearly and to see how wrong that situation was for me um so that ultimately that helped propel me out of it which is a huge gift and i found the strength inside myself to see that i had made a mistake and to admit it and to do something about it and looking back i i'm proud of myself for that because i think it took a lot of courage and it i struggled with a lot of shame and guilt for a long time after after that, I mean, you put your whole family through a wedding and, you know, they're supportive and loving the way that a family should be. And then you let them all know you made a mistake and that's all coming crashing down. That's humiliating. Um, Like talk about shame triggers just (laughs) left and right. Shame is a super powerful thing. Yes, definitely. So yeah, I, uh, left that relationship. I have a very specific memory of you and your wife helping me load a moving truck. Um, and yeah, so that was just the beginning of the rest of my life. Honestly, like that was where a door closed and a window opened. And I went on to just become the person that I was always meant to be. And I wouldn't, be who I am or have any of the beautiful things that I have in my life right now, if that hadn't happened. Yeah. Um, when you got out of that, after you left your parents' house, you moved into that little cottage. Um, was that the first time you had lived by yourself? It was, it was. And I loved it. I was going to say, what, what is that like? Like what kind of unique, (laughs) um, experience was that after, you know, being with your parents and then with roommates or, or in the dorms and, and then, uh, you know, with boyfriends. And now you're just like Lauren with Lauren. 
Yeah, it was great. It was, you know, it was a an adorable little cottage near the mill pond in Clarkston. And I lived there with my dog and I had the emotional and physical space that I just had never experienced for, geez, I don't know, the first seven years of my adulthood. So it was great. It was, it was the perfect place to be. And I met some really amazing friends in the Clarkston community and just had some really wonderful experiences that just continued to um, reinforce the decisions that I had made in the person that I was becoming and just kind of validating, you know, everything that had gotten me to that point. So yeah. um, before we move on, <laughs> I, I'm curious, uh, cause I don't, I don't think I know the answer to this, but what, um, what role did religion play in your household growing up and throughout, uh, I mean, up until your, your marriage, <laughs> like what, yeah, I um, I grew up Catholic, and my both sides of my family are Catholic. Don't worry, I just figured and... out why you never feel like you're good enough. <laughs> uh, Catholic joke. Generations uh... <laughs> of, of guilt. But you're so, did, was that it. like you guys actively practiced Catholicism? My parents grew up, I think, a little bit more active with that. My mom went to Catholic school for. Um, part of her childhood and they both were raised with it very consistently I think Um, it was more traditional for them Um, I think we were probably more of the Christmas Easter Catholics not quite that non-participant but in that direction so I went to catechism as a kid I made my first (laughs) communion so this is where religion gets interesting for me when I was a kid I made the decision to not be confirmed as a Catholic. I can't remember what age it is that you're supposed to be confirmed. I want to say it's like 12 yeah. or 14, maybe 14. No, it was, 14. it was middle school. Yeah, 14. And I went to my parents and I just said, this doesn't feel right. Like, I, what am I doing? Why am I going to be, con- what am I confirming here? <laughs> you know, that was, and to my parents' credit, like, they they were great about it. They were like, okay, if this doesn't feel like the right thing for you, you don't have to do it. You know, they didn't force me to do it. But from that moment, I was questioning what it was all about. And that was just the perfect example of me making a choice for myself because it just didn't feel like the right thing to do. I wasn't going to just, you know, follow the the protocol and just, you know, do what was expected of me. When it had no meaning. And so I think for my younger years, I struggled with what it felt like to have a relationship with God because I would see and hear other people say that they that they did and that they felt it. And I didn't know what that meant and I couldn't relate to that. And I I remember going to like a overnight Christian camp with some friends of mine in, in junior high and watching other kids go up and pray. And I just, I couldn't connect with that. And I, I felt like something was so wrong with me because I wasn't feeling what they were feeling. And I remember laying in my bed and crying that night, just feeling like something was wrong with me because I didn't, I couldn't relate. So that was my relationship with religion. I think when I was younger and I went through a phase where 
I just wasn't sure that I bought into it and it just didn't make sense to me. And I think I was with some people who, you know, just didn't really buy into the whole organized religion thing. So I didn't bother to either. And I don't know, I kind of came to my own conclusion about spirituality and we can get into that if you want to, but it definitely is not Catholicism. Well, and, and <laughs> so. it's, it's funny cause this kind of will segue it right in. I mean, you, your uh, now husband, <laughs> he's got a very religious family. On, on yes, part he has of, a, lot, a lot of pastors in his family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so was that something that factored in? I mean, I, let's let's start with him, I guess. Like, you guys meet, and I mean, what's that like dating him and, and finding, like, dealing with the decision in your head again to be like, I'm going to get married? <laughs> was that, was that <laughs> yeah. a, a something you were went into like with some fear that because of what happened with your previous marriage or were you like, I'm in a better place now. I think I know what I want. Or, like what, where's your headspace at there? And how did you make that decision? Oof, that's a lot to answer. <laughs> 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 All right. So let's back it up. So yeah. I, my now husband and I were set up on a blind date. So my family friend and his mother worked together and they for years thought that he and I would be a good match. I was dating someone else at the time. And so I, you know, turned down this offer to be set up with this person several times. And then towards the end of that relationship, I was feeling very strongly that it just wasn't the right fit. And that relationship ended and some time passed by and I, contacted this family friend and said, who is this person that you are relentlessly calling to try to set me up with? And so I finally agreed to meet him and showed up to this blind date, fully expecting to not have it go well. And just, I saw him for the first time and I just instantly felt a connection to him physically. And just, I don't know, in, in a way that I can't really even fully describe, I had never experienced anything like it before. And it basically just knocked me on my ass. So I, I, uh, it kind of made me a believer in when you know, you know, like yeah. that whole thing. Um, because you just, you don't know till you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we, I don't know, fell in love and things just happened very organically. And I felt a connection with him that I have never felt with anyone before. I will say I, I, I remember when I first met uh, Ryan, because, uh, you know, me and Erica, we, we had grown very protective of you. <laughs> and then uh, we went over and I think this was the first time I met him. It was at his house. And by the end of the night, we were all singing 90s NSYNC songs together. And I was like, OK, I can get down with this. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was it. So. You guys uh, decided to get married. Uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was interesting to feel like I wanted to get married, and that part I didn't ever doubt or question. But other people's opinion and perception was what really um, affected me the most. And again, shame triggers yeah. came back. Um, you know, what will they think and do they, you know, has enough time passed and 
what's their perception of him and do they just think that I'm terrible at making relationship decisions and I don't know so that part weighed really heavily on me and I it's been a, a big challenge to just let go of what other people think and most of it is in my own head I there has been some judgment I mean everyone's human it's bound to happen but people um, are going to be people yeah yeah so um so then i'm going to fast forward a little because now you are the mother of a tiny little adorable baby (laughs) i am yeah yeah so we being a parent (laughs) what's what's that like ping-ponging all over the place um being a parent is it still doesn't even fully feel real to me all the time, honestly, because I've thought about being a parent for so long and it's something I always knew I wanted to do, but I pictured it happening, you know, a long time ago, back when I was just going through the motions of the order of things that happen in life and when they would happen. Um, But gosh, am I so glad that it didn't happen until now because I am married to an amazing man and I have this perfect chunky cheeked little <laughs> baby boy who's, <laughs> who's just perfect so yeah no it's I mean it's challenging in that you see the best and worst sides of yourself you know if they're like, like a little mirror showing you your flaws um, in how you react to stressful situations and what you think it says about you um, so that is I would say the most challenging part, but you know, it's, it's as great as they say it is. It's, you know, just a a beautiful miracle to have this tiny perfect person that you made with the person you love. So, well, what's it like to, um, I mean, bring things kind of current and to some degree, what's it like to have that happen? And then very shortly after we're in a global pandemic, (laughs) um, I mean, does that shift your perspective or is it just like, oh, more time at home with, with Luke? <laughs> like what is, um, what's going through your head during all of this being a new parent? In a way, I feel like we're lucky because he's so little, he has no idea what's going on. And my husband and I are both at home working. And so we've had the opportunity to have quality time that we wouldn't have had if we weren't in this situation. So as scary and overwhelming as things are in the world you know within the four walls of our home things are just fine and you know we're very lucky and grateful for what we're getting to experience here you know he crawled for the first time and my I was able to yell and have Ryan come running and get to see it too so that kind of thing would normally not get to happen um so I mean it's a scary time to be a parent because they're is so much going on in the world that is beyond our control and it just feels like whether it's the hatred of certain groups of people or a virus that we can't control, you know, there are just so many things that feel like a lot to handle. Um, so in that way it is kind of overwhelming, but you know, the biggest lesson I've gotten out of it is you just do the best that you can in the moment you can't, worry too much about the future or what's coming next because you also have no control over that so (laughs) well speaking of the future um i mean what's what's what are you what are you doing now because we didn't really touch on that um 
you know, all the different facets of what you've done with your business and your name and your brand and your photography. Um, what, what are you currently doing now? So I am running a real estate photography company in Oakland County. Um, so I still do some portrait photography on the side and some corporate photography for clients that I've worked with for several years under my personal business. But for the most part, I'm with this um, separate company, which provides uh, media for real estate agents um, to market their listings. So I manage a team of photographers who I work alongside who um, capture most of the media and I work with a lot of the realtors um, and business owners and sort of manage the business. So, yeah, so I, I it's nice because I, I get to be an entrepreneur in a way and run this business, but I also have a larger company backing me up and um, helping out with the aspects of, you know, entrepreneurship that I'm not as good at, like, uh, you know, the accounting and the, yeah. you know, the, the behind the scenes stuff. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. And I still get to be creative in that it's, you know, another form of photography, but I also get to interact with people, which is something that I've always really enjoyed. So, uh, and seems to be like one of the underlying themes of this entire interview is, uh, have you, even though you spoke negatively about this earlier, but I wonder if you're able to, um, give yourself credit and, uh, have some confidence in, in being like a business owner or manager to some degree, like you've, you know, you've, you've got your own photography business that you still can kind of do at will. You have this real estate photography company. Like you might not think you're super keen at like accounting and stuff, but I, I would argue that as far as running a business, you're doing pretty well. There's a lot of people that can't get anywhere near where you're at, um, with either your, your individual photography business or the real estate photography. Well, thank you. Um, I would say that this this um, career change and doing the real estate photography definitely has been a good thing in that way. Um, it has given me a newfound confidence in, you know, my ability to lead and to teach um, because I do a good amount of training, you know, for my team and teaching people how to capture the different media and shoot in our specific shoot style um, and shoot flow. So I definitely have allowed myself to, um, I don't know, see myself as, as being good at this as silly as that sounds, but I Doesn't sound silly at all. Like I, my, the instincts are there. The, the eye is there. I, it just feels like a good fit for me in general. So I, I enjoy leading, um, whether it's a small group or a, a large team. I, my first experience with that was when I was drum major in high school. And, um, it's just something that I feel like I'm good at. I, I feel like I'm good at connecting with people. And so when we have a common goal, whether that be, you know, working to deliver a product to a client or, you know, trying to, perform at some <laughs> band competition or something, you know, I, I feel like I'm good at connecting with people and helping move everyone in the same direction. So that's something that I've always enjoyed professionally or in any organized group that I've been a part of. And this job has definitely allowed me 
to do that and to feel successful in doing that. Awesome. Well, you deserve it. So good for you. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I, there's a couple different directions I can go. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious cause I think depending on what you answer to this, this might go segue into the last thing I was going to mention, but, um, thinking about externally not not personally actually if, you, if both <laughs> personally as far as your identity goes what would you what three things do you think you would attribute to yourself and what three things do you think people would attribute to you like example like if when i think of you like photography might be one of the things that i think of what would the other two be <laughs> in your mind oh you you've already picked one for me <laughs> Yeah, see, I'll give you one. <laughs> okay, freebie. Um, I would say that I do my best to do no harm to other beings in this life. So I do my best to be compassionate in decisions that I make, whether it's what I put on my plate or things that I choose to wear or the way that I coexist with other creatures, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, and I say that because I'm the crazy person who lets bugs outside and it drives my husband crazy but I just a few years ago you know my the conclusion I came to was that it's you know it's not up to me whether another creature gets to live or die like I'm I'm gonna do my best in everything that I do to inflict no harm on anyone else and so that's a big part of who I am and it was probably the the first decision that I made where I felt like I was truly being my most authentic self. Like it was the first major decision that I've made, um, to try to live a more compassionate lifestyle, which felt like it was truly me to the core and experiencing that I think allowed me to tap into my own intuition and carry that experience throughout the rest of my life to be able to identify other times when something felt so right to me. Um, so I would say that's a big part of who I am. Um, gosh, so photography, compassion, and I just, I, I feel like at this point in my life, I try not to take things too seriously. I think for a long time I did. And I put, so much pressure on myself and I, um, I don't know. I, so now now that I'm a parent, I think one of my biggest goals is to just not sweat the small stuff and not let my son grow up thinking he needs to, um, to just be in the moment and, you know, trust how he feels about things. And so I try to do the same. I try to live my life that way. And, so that hopefully I can be an example to him. It's good advice for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Was that, was that the kind of answer you were looking for? Yeah. You, you covered what I was going to ask you about anyway. So that worked out. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Um, that's all I got. And of course, right when we're saying goodbye, your connection is crappy. All right. Love and miss you too. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Have a good night. Bye. All right, you just listened to the interview with my friend Lauren. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. I loved talking with her. It was weird because, um, you know, she's local and 
didn't get to meet up in person. That's the first one I've done local uh, via like FaceTime or, you know, Google Hangout or something. So that's, that's, I don't know. It puts a damper on things. I'm glad that I still get to talk to people. And next week's episode um, is with a friend of mine that I've been trying to <laughs> sit down with for a long time. And we were actually scheduled to sit down uh, right before the shutdown happened. And we haven't been able to. So we did it via FaceTime. Uh, again, local. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's been a little bit of a struggle lately. If you're still listening to this, now you know. But <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I keep getting, keep getting ghosted and messages and people, uh, yeah, I love you guys for listening, but the ones that aren't listening don't want to be interviewed. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Uh, I do have a Patreon I'm putting together right now. It is going to be a all inclusive Justin Lamb Patreon. So there's going to be, you know, majority friend request stuff, but going to have unreleased mp3s uh certain members are going to be able to ask questions follow-up questions for our guests so if you guys were ever listening to an episode and like i wonder how they think about this or how they feel about this or i wonder what they did when this happened uh you can ask those once the patreon's launched and get your answers i'm super excited about that and uh yeah not a whole lot else going on just staying locked down you know the usual but I love you guys. Uh, reach out. I could use some verbal company. <laughs> a little lonely these days. Um, yeah, that's it. Have a great rest of your week. Happy Memorial Day if you're listening to this on launch day. Otherwise, happy Tuesday. Uh, all right, that's it. I have nothing else to say. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Follow on Facebook and Instagram at Friend Request Pod, at Twitter at Friend Request JL. You can email me Justin's Friend Request at gmail.com. And I recently got on TikTok, though I don't understand it at all. <laughs> all right, bye bye.